Hello and welcome to Say Hi to the Future, Ingenious Thinkers, a podcast aimed at highlighting the human side of ingenuity. My name is Ken Tenser, curator of Say Hi to the Future, helping leaders think differently in the face of uncertainty and ambiguity. Better thinking, better outcomes. With me today is Luis Baez, a sales enablement strategist and sales consultant dedicated to serving online business owners, including coaches, course creators, consultants, and B2B startups. Like this video if you enjoy our show and subscribe to our channel. Leave us a comment with who we should interview next. Thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the show. Luis Baez, welcome to Say Hi to the Future. Thank you so much for having me, my friend. I think you are the first sales professional on Say Hi to the Future on one of our shows. No pressure. Um, yeah, no pressure. And I think, you know, I was discussing it with, with Sonia, um, our producer, and, and I think what really moved me and, and her, and especially in the pre-interview, was who you are as an individual. Um, you know, just a very short look at at your background and listening to some other podcasts and going what a fascinating individual so just tell us a little bit about you to, to open up the show yeah thank you so much Kenna. so i am um someone who uh was born in puerto rico raised in poverty in the bronx uh was very determined to change my life outcomes um and worked hard was a squeaky wheel that got all the oil um, I ended up going away to college and being the first in my family to do so. Um, fast forward, I ended up building a career in advertising and tech um, beyond my wildest dreams. Um, I ended up being recruited at companies like LinkedIn, Google, Uber, Tesla. I've done uh, sales at the enterprise level, handling multi-million dollar deals. I've led teams to you know eight, nine figures in success. Um, and now I also dedicate myself as a coach and a consultant to taking all of that secret sauce from all of my playbooks um, and helping those individuals that otherwise wouldn't have access to someone like me. So, Luis, you came, what, what age again, sir, did you come from Puerto Rico? Um, I was a baby. Uh, so, And I was okay. back and forth until my family settled down in New York and decided that I would learn English and go to school there. Okay. So you, you come over here, as you said, as a baby learn English, um, grow up in, in, in poverty in the Bronx, there's usually a moment or a few moments that you go, yeah, that, that person helped me or they did something. Like, what, what are a couple of those moments? Because you've had quite the rise from a, not the most typical of, of starting points. So I think the earliest advocate, other than my parents and my mom, of course, um, but as far as like the earliest advocate for my potential was probably my high school calculus teacher, who also was my uh, guidance counselor and advisor. Um, and she was the one that held the mirror up to my face and said, you've got a lot more potential than you realize. And she started to introduce the idea of me going away to college, uh, started to introduce my options around scholarships and opportunities to make that happen um, and pushed me in that direction, even though I was afraid. She made sure that I jumped off that cliff and I am forever thankful to her because my life has changed in ways that I could not have imagined given her um, advice and, and, and her compassion. And what does that feel like when somebody sits you down and goes, you know, 
you are way more than you, you, you think you are. And mentions things like college, which again, you are the first in your um, family to, to attend. Yeah, I think at every turn that I've had like a mentor or someone tap my shoulder, I'm always surprised. I think I keep my head down. I'm so focused on working hard and trying to pursue the things that I see, the things that are in my line of sight. Um, and these individuals usually call out things that I'm not aware of and introduce opportunities that help to broaden sort of the, my, my scope and, 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 and what's possible. Um, you know, and I uh, am always... Um, sort of surprised and humbled by people seeing my potential, right? I am someone that has gotten so many signals from society as someone who is chubby, out gay, Latino, et cetera, right? There's always that the notion that I'm less than or I don't belong or there's something different, right? Um, and so when you start to internalize some of that narrative, you become overly fixated on the results and producing and just trying to keep your head down and, you know, doing what's possible. Um, these individuals who have stepped into my life or have intersected with me on my journey and tapped my shoulder, um, they are the ones that help me to interrupt that narrative. It, wouldn't it be great if we could take all of the ignorance that we hear in our lives and just put it in a box? I mean, it almost seems that that's what you've been able to do, if you will, because I know we, we all hear some awful things along the way, but you, you seem to, again, you, you seem to be able to put it away and say, no, you're not going to define me. I'm going to define me. Yeah, I, I'm not able to compartmentalize those things and make them go away. You know, I'm constantly reminded of my otherness. It's always in my face. I think what's shifted for me is that it's my strength, right? My otherness is no longer something that prohibits me from engaging or participating or being included. It's now my value add. And the way that I talk about myself and present myself has shifted to emphasize that my otherness is my value. So let, let's let's take that and how you just, you know, define value and, and how you now define who you are and move to something that you um, speak to quite a bit, which is leading with authenticity. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that, you know, here, I'll just read something you wrote about when you moved from New York City to the Bay Area on a whim, no job, no ride, no network, in pursuit of all the promises and spoils that came with having a job in tech. Yeah. Um, what, what is authenticity and, and how did you make that, you know, yeah. transition, if you will, to leading with it? Yeah. So um, for context, you know, I got my sales career started in advertising sales in New York City, which was at the time a very relationship focused sort of industry. Um, and it was all about, you know, fitting in and keeping up with the Joneses. And it was all about who you knew. Ultimately, the decision to do business with someone was based on their likeness. And, and, um, and I, um, in many occasions as an out gay man um, and as someone who, you know, was of a different um, sort of ethnic and racial background than other people in the room, um, I had to do a lot of adapting and adopting and assimilation and fitting in and laughing along with the joke, even though I didn't agree with it, right? We were talking about some very different times and I was very early mm -hmm. in my career and quite determined to come up and to remove the friction from that process. But I wasn't entirely satisfied to your point about the matter of authenticity. I didn't feel like I was showing up as my whole self. 
cut to me transitioning to the West Coast. You mentioned Silicon Valley. You know, there was that promise that you could work at a place like Google or LinkedIn or anywhere else that I've been, and you can bring your whole self to work. And it's actually something that is celebrated. It's something that's desired. People want that perspective on customer experience and product design. You know, they want to make sure that things aren't created in a vacuum or in an echo chamber. Um, and so that was what attracted me to the industry and to making that move to the West Coast. And what I ultimately found was that I am not your typical salesperson. I'm not someone who's overly extroverted. I'm not someone that's very sharky or pushy. I'm more of a consultant. You know, my approach is to lean in um, and, you know, really understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish. What's in it for you? How can I make you shine? How can I help you stand out to your team? Right. Um, and and leaning into that sort of authentic approach of just being myself and being inquisitive as opposed to being performative and trying to do the whole sales tap dance, that's ultimately what led to my success. I'm not someone that was always welcomed in the conversation. My expertise wasn't always immediately appreciated. And so I had to work to bring that sort of space and that energy where people could just be themselves. They could trust me and then ultimately lean into the opportunity to receive the advice that I had to offer. Um, so I had to take a very different approach. And, and when you tell that story and, and the wonderfulness, I guess, of, of being able to bring your whole self to work, um, especially in a sales role, when you think of the flip side, the sheer stupidity mm. of being closed off to everything that you and your any team member is, um, it, it, it just, it always overwhelms me because you bring your, or you're, you're empowered to bring your whole self to work. Consumers bring their whole self to buying or purchasing from you in each and every decision. Um, whether they are, you know, you talk about being out and, 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 and gay, urban, Puerto Rican, whether people are as open and honest as you, or they keep it inside, when it comes to the purchasing decision, mm. it's there. Um, and so this non-reflective mirror approach, it's it's bizarre to me. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, one of those things that I've, I've had to develop resilience and I've had to also develop the language and the patience to deal with people that, you know, I have to interact with, I have to work with, and I have to drive results with, no matter what their opinion of me might be. Um, and I'm thankful for that, right? I think that, yes, I've worked a lot harder to earn my seat at the table and my seat was the wobbliest chair all the way in the back with the worst lighting, um, but it's my seat and I have to take advantage of it. I have to make the best of what it is that I have. Um, and oftentimes I have been able to advance my career by just leading by example, right? Rather than complaining about the things that I don't have or being defeated by the way that I'm being treated, I really just focus on this is my time to shine, right? Like I've got this opportunity um, and, and I need to seize it. And it's not always easy. It's not always pleasant. I don't always have people in my corner. I don't always have the answer or the context or the experience or the mentorship, um, but I'm quite determined because I think that my presence that resilience is how we start to change the status quo, how we start to shift the perception of what leaders look like and what they sound like, or even how they lead. Because my approach is entirely different than other people. 
I'm not someone that is someone that leads with fear. I'm not here to scare you into doing your job. Instead, you know, I practice this sort of servant leadership. I show up and I inquire, what is it that you need to contribute your highest? And then I take it upon myself to deliver on those things that you need. And that's ultimately how I build that trust, no matter how what people may think about me. When they start to see how I engage and how I lead, how I deliver and drive results, that starts to shift the narrative. And, and how do you um, amplify that maybe in a sense that you talk to diversity, equity, and belonging in sales, and you're describing it for us, not just in sales, but in, in leadership and, and yeah. frankly, in individuality. How does this become much bigger than, than Luis Baez? Yeah, you mentioned the word amplification, and that's an important strategy. I think that one of the ways that I've been able to gain visibility in boardrooms, across cross-functional projects, et cetera, is by amplifying other people's contributions such that they are compelled to amplify mine. So I look across the table, I compliment people's contributions, I inquire about their methodology and their approach. You know, I thank them for teaching me, right? And I continue to do that consistently for the people that I admire. And eventually I start to win over that amplification as well. Other people start to look at my contributions. They start to call those things out in the boardroom. They start to celebrate the impact that I'm making, right? Those allyships and those alliances are incredibly important, but the matter of amplification is a concerted effort and a lot of goodwill. You're gonna make a lot more deposits than you get withdrawals out of the process, but there is you know, no other way to build credibility and trust amongst a group um, than to have that amplification and that consensus. And, and and when you speak about that too, and you talk about trust and um, you know, one of the other the other points that are that I read about you is your about your ability to build genuine trust and help people around you shine. Um, and, and I think as you said, you're going to put in a lot more coins into that box. Yeah. I, how do you how does that work though? How do you make others shine and 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 what what is that? What's the takeaway, I guess? Yeah, I think a really good leader is not someone that makes everything about themselves. A leader instead places the spotlight on the people that they lead, right? And so I'm someone that by my sort of introverted nature, I don't care for the spotlight. I don't need to be number one. I don't need to be center stage. My voice doesn't have to be the only one. And I don't assume full expertise and knowledge in anything, right? And I'm also not afraid of looking stupid or not qualified or whatever your perception of me might be because I give that shine to someone else, right? I assume that responsibility as a leader and that it's not about me, right? If it were about me, I would have stayed an individual contributor, right? And I think that that's a really important sort of outlook and quality of mind to bring to the table, um, especially in instances where, um, you know, there, to your point, that matter of trust, um, you know, you, you start to develop that trust by becoming known as that person who amplifies others, uplifts every other person around you, is reliable, is a subject matter expert, right? That sort of credibility comes with time and with consistency in that practice of, removing that spotlight from yourself. And at the end of the day, and not, not for everyone, but I, I think we're very aligned here, is that looking at somebody achieve something mm -hmm. and that smile on their face in that moment, know that 
even if it was only one or two percent contribution, you had something to do with that 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 incredible sense of pride that somebody else is feeling. Yeah. That's honestly why I do the work that I do, right? I live for those aha moments when I see those expressions on people's faces, when their self-concept has shifted, the way that they think about themselves or their capabilities or what they can contribute or how they can impact. That's that's why I do the work that I do ultimately, right? I had this amazing experience of being the Olympian, right? And now I'm the Olympic trainer. I'm training the next person to make their highest contribution. So something very much related um, is entrepreneurship. Mm. And I know you speak to a lot of, uh, or you work a lot of around entrepreneurship and inspiring it. So first of all, tell us what, what it is. <laughs> entrepreneurship is a work ethic and a quality of mind where someone shows up into a company at their workplace and rather than clocking in and out as an employee that just has a job description, they have a sense of ownership in the business. They have a sense in building that business and bringing other people into that process and showing up like an entrepreneur. And it's something that I heard of, but never quite understood until I took a step back from working corporate and decided to start my own consultancy. At that point, I was helping other businesses build out their sales teams and their sales processes and playbooks. And in the process, I realized that unbeknownst to me, I had developed the work ethic and the mindset and the thinking of an entrepreneur before I stepped into those shoes. The reason for that is I worked at all these companies that I'd been recruited at as an early or sort of salesperson or, you know, early uh, startup sort of sales force of a company, launching a new product, right. building a new territory, uh, you know, building new relationships. Um, I had developed those skills before I did start to do that for myself. When I was ready to step back into building my career, I showed up with a very different outlook and approach. Right? After experiencing being an entrepreneur, I stepped back into corporate with this sense of ownership. I've got this, I'm building a department, I'm building a team from the ground up, this entire function from the ground up, bringing that same sort of work ethic that I had as an entrepreneur. But with that realization that number one, I'm not responsible for all of that overhead, right? As an entrepreneur, it's on you, right? To do all of the things or to hire people. When you step into a business, your marketing is done, your legal is taken care of, your product development is all handled, right? You're just solely in that chair of selling mm -hmm. and, and, and engaging new customers. Um, and I, I, it changed the way that I showed up, you know, and it also made me appreciate differently sort of my equity in the company. One of the attractive things about working in tech and one of the people, one of the reasons people join the industry is that in addition to competitive salaries, you're also given equity in a company and that's right. real ownership in a business. And so I started showing up like a boss and I started reminding people around me that my my influence in, in the boardroom expands just beyond clocking in and out because I literally own a piece of this business. And so I show up like a boss. And I think you picked up on something that's so critical. I mean, other than the ownership and the feeling, we'll get to that. But a lot of people open up by saying um, entrepreneurship is a form of corporate entrepreneurship. And I, I think 
you very correctly identified um, that it's 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 not that an entrepreneur is distinct in the sense of the type of risk that they have, the type of support and finance, accounting, ops, whatever it is that an entrepreneur does not have. And, and I wanted to point that out because I'm um, yeah, like you, I've done a lot of work around entrepreneurship. And when I go and try and teach it, I find that that is the first brick wall that I have to smash through. So one, thank you for that. Um, the second thing though is getting, for a company to be really successful at it, um, the, the extrapolating what you said, they need to understand what to do to support the entrepreneur. Um, because you are asking them to take a risk. You are saying you, you, you could be really good or really bad or succeed or really fail in this and everyone's going to see it. I mean, that, that, must be, that must be painfully scary at certain moments. Yeah, a lot of the work that I do as a consultant when I step into another business and we start to implement playbooks, sales processes, and we look at the hiring profiles for their sales, sales force and looking at the customer experience, I often start, there's always this appetite of like, oh, we need an onboarding program, right? We're going to hire people. We need to make sure they're onboarded. We need to make sure they're super productive. Great. Let's take a step back because to your point, these people need to be supported. And what kind of culture and environment are you creating for them? Mm -hmm. And so this sort of approach around fostering a performance-driven culture that's centered on these entrepreneurial sort of pillars requires working with the leadership first. They're often eager to experience a high productive, you know, high performing team like the ones that I've been a part of in Silicon Valley, right? What they hold on to are these assumptions and old world notions about leadership, right? They have to let go of this sort of dictatorship approach around leadership where they know it all and do it all. They have to assume servant leadership instead. Right? Rather than being the gatekeeper of every approval, they have to create processes to make things turnkey and self-serve for their people yeah. to accelerate the velocity of revenues and to keep them optimally productive. You also have to set up guidelines for how what's expected of them. Right, You have to give people the permission to show up like entrepreneurs. And then you have to create processes for celebrating those behaviors and exemplifying those behaviors. Right. And so, and, and even thinking about how to sustain that culture, you have to approach uh, the, the team with coaching. You have to adopt a coaching methodology, individual coaching, group coaching, tracking performance over time, right? And so before we get into, let's you know develop this amazing onboarding program for your sales reps as they come in, let's first realign your sales leaders and all your other leadership thereof to support, to support, be able to support and sustain uh, this culture. So that's where this work begins is you have to shift the culture at the top first. Absolutely. And I think one of the really important things you said is, 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 or used as the word shift. Hmm. And I think that the entrepreneur and the people guiding the process also have to understand the shift that the leader is going through. Um, you know, I, I came from an age or an era where literally my last uh, business school class, you know, 
and we're getting ready to graduate. And, and I remember the professor saying, you know, when you keep your head down and put one foot in front of the other and, you know, in 30 years, you'll put your head up and you'll have a gold watch. Um, didn't work for me. I've been an entrepreneur for decades. I'm not really good at listening. What? Sorry, I'm pretty good at listening um, and not bad at hearing or, 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 or the reverse, however it goes. But my point is we were taught a different form of leadership. I've had to relearn in the last 10 years of my life, my business life, um, that being a leader is very different than it was 20 or 25 years ago. And I think that that is super important to the success of it. It's not just the leader, it's the entrepreneurs who have to know the leaders were not taught what they're doing today. They are relearning themselves and have a little bit of flexibility or give them a little attitude for imperfection. Wow. A lot has shifted, right? When we think about what the world used to be, people would join a company and stay with a company for 10 plus years. And that was a social norm, a cultural norm, and an expected behavior of any professional. Now the tide has shifted. And particularly after the pandemic, it is the worker's world, right? And couple that with the adage and the anecdotes that we all hear all the time, people don't quit their jobs, they quit their managers. Right. And so we live in a world now where I can either, you know, take a job and 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 enjoy that job. But the minute that leadership and the culture becomes toxic or it doesn't become inspiring, the minute it's no longer a fun place to work, I can start a TikTok and replace my income. Right. I can, <laughs> you know, do anything else but sit there and put up with a situation that doesn't serve me. And, you know, especially with the aspirations of people like wanting to move into tech or wanting to work in such environments and cultures, right? There is this expectation that people move around every 18 months within the industry, right? It's something that actually benefits the industry because you have this sort of cross-pollination of ideas that happens mm -hmm. and things aren't built in these echo chambers. Um, and so the tide has shifted, the expectation has shifted. And when we talk about attracting talent and retaining talent, it's about the environment and the culture and the opportunity that you create for them. Will they be able to whistle while they work? Are they gonna receive the mentoring and coaching and professional development that they seek to ultimately grow within your business? Because it's quite easy for me to leave and see the promotion that I'm looking for rather than sticking it out with you. Luis, it's amazing how quickly um, our, our time can go by <laughs> and say hi to the future. And it is um, it is coming to an end. I have to say that um, the, the conversation has been delightful and, and incredibly informative. And, um, you know, that teacher the, who was also your guidance counselor, um, boy, do they recognize something real um, and who you are and... Um, so deservedly um, putting you on a path to, you know, obviously it's your path that you worked at, but you know, those, those, those moments in our lives when we can recognize them, it's, it's amazing how they can, you know, push us forward to incredible heights. Um, in closing today, I, I just want to, um, there's one last thing that you speak to um, that I'd like to throw out there. You say that excuses are the tools of idiots. Um, tell, us, 
that is advice that I received from someone that was like my arch nemesis in college just someone that um when I first heard this you know I took it to heart of like I'm how dare you like you just like low-key called me an idiot but it's something that I have thought about it's like I can make excuses for not doing things not showing up not asking for help not being inquisitive or I can do what needs to be done. And so I use that as a reminder to myself, excuses are the tools of idiots. I'm too smart to use excuses or to make excuses, right? It's in my control to move and to make things happen. Um, and every step of the way, this is something that I am very certain of, given the experience that I've had, it's always in the retrospect that you learn. I have always had the things that I wanted and needed along the way as long as I've shown up, right? The minute I shy away, everything else goes away. But the minute I show up and 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 stop making excuses, suddenly solutions are found. The budget shows up, the connection is made, the mentor taps the shoulder, right? And so I just want anyone that's listening to this to just remember that um, when you signal to the universe and to everyone around you um, that you are ready to receive, then you will. The number one rule in business in my mind, just show up. Hmm. Um, Luis Baez, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking the time and joining us on Say Hi to the Future. Thank you so much for having me, Ken. It's been a pleasure.